Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with Karen Van Buren. Karen is the CMO of Greenhouse, a company that's in the recruitment space, onboarding space, and it's a really interesting company, one I've known for quite some time, and I probably knew them in their first iteration. You know, startup mindset, high growth organizations. And when Karen came in, she was challenged with going up market, entering into a different segment. And the realization that we talk about today is that you need a different approach if you're going after SMB versus you're going after enterprise. Now, a lot of the guests I often speak to on this podcast talk about different segmentation strategies that get very wide. Karen's is very simple, and she talks about the ability to lead with a very simple approach that allows people to pick the lane that they belong in, and then to get more specific deeper down the funnel. That all wraps up with maybe one of the most beautiful analogies I've had on this podcast. That is one of bees. We're talking honey, and you got to stick around to the very end. But here's our kickoff, my chat with Karen. Karen, I am thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to talk about your journey. We're going to start with your career. Being the CMO of Greenhouse, how did you find this opportunity given that it is a recruiting company? Randy, thank you so much for having me on the show. I am a fan. Uh, Thank you. I feel quite honored to be in the company of all these great um, CMOs that you've interviewed. How did I come to Greenhouse? It's a story I'm really, really proud of. A little bit around the fact that I was working in technology. I was working for a big tech firm, Capgemini, um, and there was a recruiter who reached out, and I really wasn't quite interested because there was a lot of things that I was doing at the time, and I thought, HR tech? Are you kidding me? I've never worked in recruiting before, but um, recruiters are some of the most incredible people. They do a really, really good job repping their company and kind of Um, Ariana Moon, who was the recruiter who um, brought me to Greenhouse, did such a fantastic job sharing the the mission and the purpose of Greenhouse. And I kind of fell in love with that story. I fell in love with the idea that we could make a difference in people's lives by fixing hiring. And so here I am four years later. That's amazing. And great call out to the recruiter, given, you know, that's definitely the persona that you're going to be selling to in that role. But I'm, I'm curious as well, especially at the executive level, when do you think is the right time for a C-level, perhaps CEO, to reach out to a CMO in that process? Is it right out of the gate? Is it letting the recruiter do their job? What's that right balance? Because it's it's a tricky, tricky element of trust the system, but also make it an executive level engagement. Well, Randy, it won't surprise you to know that I believe that hiring is the most important job for every business leader. And so the partnership between the C-level hiring manager, whether that's the CEO or the CMO, and that recruiter is central right from the moment. So if the recruiter is kind of doing the sourcing and discovering, um, kind of maybe, maybe taking the first pass at some of these candidates, 
very, very soon, as in maybe the second call, should be from that um, C-level business um, leader because, and we all know this, you're getting inundated with requests and emails and outreach and what an incredible opportunity. What's going to make the difference for you when a CEO reaches, reaches out or when a CMO set, reaches out and says, hey, I would love to talk to you about this opportunity. So the power is in sooner rather than later. That's great advice. And you know, what was that conversation like between yourself and the CEO of Greenhouse? How did he push you over the edge? Daniel Chait is an extraordinary um, leader, and I feel so lucky to be able to work with him. In my first conversation with Daniel, he focused obviously on kind of the role and the, and the need that, that Greenhouse had, but he actually spent his time helping me to understand what Greenhouse was trying to do. And so as a, as a marketer who leads with brand and as a person who personally believes that I live my life um, trying to make a difference in the world, that was the right call. So helping me to understand kind of the journey that Greenhouse is on, the impact that Greenhouse wants to make in the world at large, that came first. And so I was kind of a little bit hooked. I didn't quite let it on to him, I have to admit, but that was the key. So that I knew that you know what was going to be the most meaningful aspect of this role right out of the gate. And then we spent you know, many subsequent conversations going through functional expertise and all the other good stuff. Um, but that for me was kind of the, the secret to the whole thing. So I want to also talk about where you moved from and to, and that being Capgemini. Capgemini is a large organization. Just for everyone listening, how, how large was it at the time you were there? Very large. It's uh, more than 100,000 employees all around the world, headquartered in France, with a very strong growing North American operation and some hefty competition in terms of the management consulting firms and other technology systems integrators um, that they were c competing against. So there's a lot of differences between that organization and the organization you came to. I mean, you know, Greenhouse, without a doubt, is growing at an amazing rate. I believe the company's almost 900 people, around 200 million of ARR. I mean, this is a no longer a startup. This is a high growth machine, but that's a very small business compared to Capgemini. How did you have to shift your leadership style in terms of coming from this big ship to this you know, growing train, if you will? Right. Well, I think the opportunity is how can you make a difference? And I think in these large organizations, as a marketing leader, you can make a difference. And I certainly felt that I was able to do that at Capgemini. But you're also dealing with a lot of existing processes, existing ways of doing things. The opportunity of coming to a high growth SaaS company like Greenhouse, that is a leader in its field and that has this incredible growth um, trajectory ahead of it is that the impact that you can make is so much more immediate and you can influence the trajectory of the company pretty much right away. So for me, the opportunity and the shift was at Capgemini, I was maintaining and growing an existing team at Greenhouse. Daniel wanted me to actually come in and establish a team, revisit the team that was there, build a new team, basically make marketing a core capability of the company. And I found that really exciting. So I sort of went from manager to builder um, by making that move. Now, I'm, I'm curious because you and I spoke 
earlier today, and you already said this, that you are a brand centric marketer. What about that made you the right fit for where Greenhouse was at this point? Because this wasn't a brand new company that needed to establish its brand. I mean, I, I believe Greenhouse is about 10 years old. So maybe it was around five, six years old when you had joined. What was it about the transition that was needed beyond the team that you were excited to tackle and Daniel was excited to bring you in for? The two reasons I came to Greenhouse, the first was actually brand. And the second was going up market in kind of the more traditional B2B marketing. That brand challenge was really an interesting one because Greenhouse was a very cool, innovative startup brand. In the category of hiring, Greenhouse has always been a disruptor and a challenger. And so the brand had these cool um, but startup-y attributes. And the core customer base at the time was SMB and small mid-market companies. But if you set yourself the mission of helping every company in the world to get better at hiring, you need to be able to be effective and compete and win business in every segment. And so we set our sights on, not only do we want to keep winning in SMB and mid-market, but we want to go to enterprise. And if you want to do that, you need a brand that larger companies would look at and say, oh, I feel comfortable doing business with this company. So we needed to migrate or evolve the brand from cool kind of startups, sort of Silicon Valley type of um, character to and take all that equity with it and make it a cool but sophisticated brand, a, a mature looking company that a large enterprise would look at and say, oh yes, this is an innovative partner. We would be interested to do business with you. So that challenge was the first challenge to solve. And it was fantastic. We had all good equity to work on, but the opportunity was to take it up a notch. And my team and I have worked on that. And I think I'm really proud of the results. So that's an interesting challenge. And and I, I love how you painted that in terms of what you came into. Now, fast forward four years from now, I go to your website and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about your website and the brand experience after we take a break. But But my last question here is, how did that rub different people in terms of coming in and taking, I'm going to call it their baby, the startup that they grew to a certain personality, a certain approach that, as you said, worked really well with SMBs and go to some of those people and say, well, we're going to change things. Did you have to win them over or were you just ready to embrace the fact that you weren't going to win everyone over on the team? I think it was a little bit of both, Randy. To be honest, the team that preceded me had done some good marketing work, and we built a fairly strong you know, marketing team and marketing platform. But the business had stalled a little bit. The growth was actually plateauing, and we knew, or at least Daniel and John, our two co-founders, had the foresight to understand that what was happening is that the, the brand was actually falling behind the aspiration and the ambition of the business. So conceptually... The business was already there. We needed to do something about marketing and we needed to do something about our brand. Uh, in terms of having to convince people, we also uh, we were in the process of hiring a new team. Um, and one of the things that I would say, I give a lot of credit to my creative director, Trenton Kanagi, who actually led a lot of the brand work and the brand execution. And so in the first in sort of Trenton and I sitting down thinking about how do we want to evolve this brand? 
it was less about convincing Trenton, but he was already there. It was more about making a plan and having a, an aligned vision. And then it was about making sure that we brought the whole organization along. Because when you do brand and you do it right, it's not just pictures. It's not just nice PowerPoints and logos. It's actually a promise, a clear positioning, a way of being. And you want the whole organization to buy into that. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And it's really paying off for us. Karen, you could not have teed up the second part of our conversation better. I'm already excited to get there, but we'll take a quick break and we'll be back for that. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I really appreciated Karen walking through the process of going up market. And for a lot of us, changing who we're targeting can be an uncomfortable element for our brand. In many ways, we may have established certain brand tones, certain visuals, certain approach in market, and shifting that can be uncomfortable. But it's also important to realize that the market that we want to go after could be much larger with some simple shifts. That doesn't mean that you have to forget who you are. I remember when we were changing elements of the brand at Uberflip, it was very tempting by some of even the designers working with us to say we had to drop our bright pink. We had to drop the happy face, but we found a medium. We found a way to change elements of where we were, again, in our case, targeting an SMB audience and move up market in a way that still felt natural to the brand, but felt natural to our buyers. And I think all of us have to take a look at our brand and make that decision of whether what we are today will last in the future. Karen, just before you were alluding to the importance of a brand beyond the logo, beyond the colors, and one of the parts of a brand that's so important to me is how we're greeted on a website. I always think of it as the lobby. You know, it's the lobby of this fancy law firm of some sort. And when I go to Greenhouse's lobby and, and I browse around, one of the things I find is very simple. And, and I mean that with a lot of respect. I, I go to the products and solutions tab, and I'm not greeting with tons of choice. I'm greeted with very simple choice. How did you arrive at that decision? Because a lot of brands are tempted to give so much segmentation opportunity there. Right. I think I identify with what you said, Randy, by think my analog is, I think the website is this massive window into the organization. And what I would like to have happen to somebody who is a prospect and browsing our website is to recognize themselves recognize their challenges, 
find the content. So we've kept everything pretty simple. It's a it's a fairly straightforward segmentation. It's sort of are you a smaller organization that is growing fast and having you know different kinds of challenges around growth? Or are you a large organization where it's less about growth and more about scaling and potentially about efficiency and effectiveness? And so as you come onto the website, we we believe that today's buyer, more than 50% of their intention to buy is homework. They're doing their own research. They're kind of making up their mind around whether a solution is appropriate for them. And so our intention is to keep the website simple and clear so that that path from coming to the front door, looking through the window, and then going into the site and browsing its content feels like a journey that brings them to one place. And for us in the SaaS world, that is, would you like to know more? Would you like to have a demo? And so we try to eliminate as much of the noise uh, in that path and also try to provide as many of the answers that makes our sales team's job easier. It's one of the things I care greatly about as a marketer and as a marketing leader. I believe that the partnership between sales and marketing is critical to my success. I believe that the way that we do marketing must be an enabling function um, and create velocity in the funnel for our sales team. When that partnership works, everything else is positive. And so, you know, we look at our website and we see it as a massive revenue generating machine. And so we spend a lot of time researching its effectiveness, fine-tuning, tweaking, making it better all the time. I, I love the simplicity just of that answer and how you covered the entire buyer journey so quickly and eloquently there. And when you started off, you explained that you've essentially got two groups and, and two segments, if you will, which is how you label them on the website. One is large organizations looking, as you said, to scale, and the other is small organizations looking to grow really quickly. And I'm I'm curious, the simplicity again of that, does that carry through once someone requests a demo, which is another button that's very clearly calling out to me on your website to say, this is what I want that next action to be. Once they take it, do you keep your segmentation as clear as that, or are you using any other data to further break that down? We have a segmentation as part of our go-to-market that is not just about sort of growth or scale. We go to business with SMB, mid-market, and enterprise as the three segments. And so as that buyer engages, they're self-recognizing what kind of problem they have. When they are speaking to one of our sales um, team members, that segmentation will drive a couple of questions that will help us to understand exactly in which bucket do they fall. And from that moment forward, let's imagine that they are deemed to be a mid-market company, which for us is around, say, 100 to 1,000 employees, um, company size, number of employees. The whole conversation will be focused within that segment. So the buyer never has to choose we're kind of doing the work for them. But our processes and our sales um, funnel is structured from that very early assessment of once you've come in, exactly which segment do you belong into, what problems are you struggling with, and then it goes from there. Interesting. And how do you balance the element of, okay, now you know what they want, and a salesperson naturally wants to sell as much as possible. They want to increase that ACV, of that deal size, 
do you really try and keep a focus on solving for the problem they came for, or do you broaden? Because one of the, you know, the nice things about a company like Greenhouse is the ability to solve for more than say recruiting. I may need onboarding as well, but if someone comes in the door, at what point are you trying to introduce the breadth of your offering versus solve for the problem that they've identified? We very much teach and train our sales team to focus on the problem of hiring. And so that would lead to the core product, which is greenhouse recruiting. In the process of that sort of building understanding about the challenges that a company are facing, one of the things we try to assess is their hiring maturity. If a company is very much at the beginning stages, maybe they have a small team of recruiters, perhaps they've been working in spreadsheets, perhaps they've had a very basic tool and are now trying to up-level. Our first challenge is to get them to embrace structured hiring, and that would be the core product. But understanding these subsequent needs, how are you going to do onboarding? How are you going to think about sourcing? Those will come up into the conversation, but our first focus is to understand the relative maturity of that prospect, and then to gauge what is the right solution for them within the, um, shall we say, the constraints of the core product. Yes, this is about increasing ACV, but firstly, it's about meeting the core need that the customer came for. So let's keep going on core needs. And and this is where I want to weave in a little bit about content and, and the strategy as how that complements the brand and everything you're trying to do, because it. You're painting this picture, which we all can relate to, of a customer who's coming in, who's doing a lot of research on their own, they're identifying, they know what they're looking for. Within something as simple as enterprise versus mid-market or SMB, how does your content strategy differ? Is there a lot of overlapping assets or are these approached as two different content centers? That is a really outstanding question because there's a lot of things in the world of hiring, there could be a lot of things that we could consider as core, um, let's call it common content, the how-tos. How do you build a fair and equitable hiring approach? Whether you're a small business, a medium business, or an enterprise, some of those fundamentals will be the same. But the context in which the customer comes or the prospect comes with that as a goal that they would like to achieve is what shifts our content. So I would say we have a strong central core of content and then a very diverse layer of content that is a bit more, shall we say, customized for whomever is coming to browse that content. So we have more enterprise-focused content. We have case studies that are more focused on enterprise. We have materials that focus on the kinds of problems that enterprise businesses have. But at the same time, we have maybe a different version of that, but more scaled towards what a mid-market company or an SMB um, would need. So I I guess the short answer here is a little bit of both. Now, a follow-up question to this I'm really curious about. You, You clearly have these two defined markets of SMB and enterprise, and a lot of people listening probably can identify in the same way. We maybe have two products or we have two segments. When you think about the demand motion that's supporting this brand, is it one group who's trying to create two paths or do you have you assigned at the scale that you're at which i think is around 55 marketers a decent size are those marketers broken up to support these different segments absolutely 
Enterprise companies do not buy in the same way as mid-market and small uh, small business do. And so we have introduced a segment-centric model into our marketing um, approach. And so as much as there is the ability to leverage uh, common content, the personas still differ. The pain points are different. And the way that we go to market, in SMB and mid-market, the, the go-to-market motion is very much inbound driven with a little bit of outbound support. In enterprise, it's actually the opposite. We do have inbound, which is a remarkable thing for enterprise businesses, but kind of leads to, you know, comes from the fact that buyers are increasingly doing their own thing. But our motion in enterprise is very much an outbound led motion where, you know, the kinds of things that you might be doing is more account-based marketing as opposed to the broader demand gen inbound um, activity. Interesting. Interesting. So you've got these two groups on, let's call it the demand side for simplicity's sake. Is the content team that's supporting those two groups you outlined earlier, is it the same center of excellence of sorts for, for content? Or is there that same segmentation of a team for each? This is where the constraints of what you're able to do every year kind of comes in. At this moment, it's <laughs> one, it's one content team. But with all of these separate asks coming in, we are going to focus this year on a little bit more, shall we say, um, I want to say the subject matter expertise inside of the content marketing team will become more segment focused. I would like there to be in time more writers and more content marketers who have a natural understanding of what enterprise businesses are looking for at this moment we are making a very strong partnership between the segment marketer and the content marketer when a piece of content is created. Over time, I could see a bit more segment, segment focus coming into the structure and the composition of my content marketing team. Really interesting. And you know, again, it's, it's fascinating to hear you describe from the website where we started down to the strategy of the outbound pieces and the support structure that's in place and one that can also scale, uh, you know, really exciting to see the, again, back to what you were brought in to, to do at Greenhouses is, is scale this organization and put it in a place where it can support two markets. Really fascinating how you're doing this, Karen. We're going to keep you around. We got a few more questions for you, more rapid fire style right after this break. What I love about marketing is there's not a single right answer. It's not we all have to go down one path for success. And if you just listen to Karen walk through the simple approach to segmentation and contrast that with another guest that I had on the podcast earlier this year, being Quinn O'Brien from Carnegie Learning, who talked about a much deeper segmentation at the top of the funnel, you see there's different paths. And I think those two different paths are very much applicable to the type of solution and the type of buyer you have. You need to look at what is going to bring someone in and give them assurance that you can solve for them. In some cases, simplicity up front is the key. In some cases, a more deeper segmentation right out of the bat where someone can self-identify will help you better. Determine with your brand what is the first step in a journey. Doesn't mean that we don't get deeper in terms of how we think about that buyer as Karen outlined, but the first step is one you have to evaluate. And again, you may not be wrong either way.
Karen, I'm having a great time chatting with you through your career journey, understanding segmentation. We're going to get a little bit more personal. I want to get into leadership style. When you look at the next marketing leader, perhaps the next CMO, what do you think the key is in terms of what you're teaching them? This is an interesting question because I think that good leadership is about thinking and planning for the future. Before I actually answer that question, I, I want to say why I feel so strongly about that. Because um, in my life, uh, I've been a beekeeper. And a lot of the things that I have learned about leadership, I've actually learned from the bees. I've learned about the fact that the queen, that you know, everyone thinks the queen is in charge of the hive. The queen is not in charge of the hive. The queen is a servant leader. She serves the hive. And her entire role is the health of the hive, which in this instance is the team. I've learned that teams of hives work very well because individual bees have a very clear sense of their role. And when all the bees are doing what they're supposed to do, the hive works and the queen can do what she needs to do. But when the queen gets weaker or it's time for her to move on, the hive decides when to make the new queen. And the hive would actually change a regular little bee by just changing what they feed that bee and make a new queen. And the reason I'm telling that story is because when I think about a future marketing leader for my team and, you know, sort of for the organization, I don't need to go look for special people. I know that I have a group of really talented individuals within my team, and quite a few of them have the potential to actually be the leader of the hive. And so... I think that's one of the things that when I think about succession, I think about what kind of leader would serve the hive as opposed to what kind of leader is individually spectacularly brilliant, but the hive will suffer. That, that is such a beautiful analogy and, and one that is so relatable as you were describing it. I was fully vested in, in thinking about that experience. Uh, and you know, no doubt that's what we all want. We want someone who... You know, I always say to my own kids is is naturally assumes the role versus appointed the role, um, you know, of leadership. Right. Step into it. Do the thing that is necessary to be done. And if you worry less about, will I get the promotion and more about, can I solve the problem? You know, good things happen and queens get born. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Now, I, I don't know how you're going to keep this bee analogy going, but yeah, I'm going to hit you with another question. And that is that of content. We talked a little bit about your content strategy, but what is it about the content that arrives in your inbox that you click through on call to actions that gets you to make that next move? There's so much content out there that has very little value. What I try to do is I try to gauge the quality and the quality of that content. For me, the measure of success is, will I want to save this? Will I want to pass it on to somebody? And so the quality of the content that mostly resonates for me as a marketer is content that teaches. And so I look for the signals of quality that's going to have that sort of caliber to it. And if I have to strain the analog and get to the B piece again, I look for the woggle dance. I look for the, you know, the signs that the B is making that there's something good over there. Those signs for me typically come from what is that headline in the email? What is the thing that is maybe the first or the second sentence? Um, I was a trained journalist, so I always read from the top. And so if the most important stuff is not in the first and the second sentence, I'm like, next. So those are some of the signals that I'm looking for to know that there's B 
there's honey in them in them flowers. I love that. I love that you br- you brought it back. Uh, staying consistent with your content here. I'm gonna uh, move my, there. <laughs> <laughs> my last one for you is really about balance here, and and that's a tricky thing in any role. At the rate at which greenhouse has grown, and the previous opportunities you've had at Cap Gemini, and the agency opportunities before that, I can only imagine the pressure. How do you make sure that there's time for beekeeping? Oh my god. <laughs> This is the challenge, I would say, because I have to be honest, um, I love working. I love what I'm doing. I'm probably closer to a bit of a workaholic than I should publicly admit. But at the same time, I also know that if I don't take care, um, the quality of my work will suffer. So today I'm in my yoga um, outfit because, you know, some mornings start with yoga and I try to keep those very sacrosanct. Um, And then also I've learned to make peace with the fact that inbox zero is never going to be a thing for me, just like never, but I will prioritize. I will focus on the important things and everything else will sort of fall into place. I love that. That's uh, it's, it's so important. And I respect the yoga outfit anytime on this podcast, people are welcome to come and, you know, come in with that balance and you've got that. Karen, this was such a great episode. I'm sure everyone tuning in really enjoyed. And if this was the first episode you've caught of this podcast, check out all the other guests that I've been fortunate to chat with. Everyone's journey is a little bit unique. I'm sure yours is taking its own path. Embrace that. And maybe one day you'll be on here to share it. Until next time, thanks so much to Karen and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 